0: Welcome to the Life I Lead podcast. I'm Nicholas, your host and founder of Eagle Transformational Coaching. This is a podcast dedicated to the enhancement and awareness of effective leadership in our modern times. We will interview and chat with some amazing leaders who inspire and influence those they work and live with. As a transformational coach in leadership, I want to motivate you. And transform your understanding of your ability to be a leader, not just in your career, but in your life as a whole. Well, well, welcome to another edition of the Live I Lead podcast. I'm Nicholas, your host and founder of Eagle Transformational Coaching. And today we welcome an amazing guest to join us, Don Gleason, a career transitional coach. And he is out there doing an incredible mission, a vocation in helping you find your next career position. And he's asking you questions such as if you're struggling to find fulfillment in your career, if you're ready for a change but don't have the time to research, and are you looking for someone to lead you through the job search process, then He's asking you to stop here right now because I know, having spoken to him in the green room and before we recorded, that he absolutely has the expertise to help you. He will answer what you want to do next professionally. He will help you answer how you sell your value to companies to get the best offer and actually enable you to validate that desire. He's an incredible, incredible ex. Military, former military chap. He has worked in the military transitional roundtable as president and founder, and he studied at the US Army War College. He really is an incredible person, and I am absolutely delighted to welcome him to the Life I Lead podcast. This chat really does resound with where so many of us find ourselves in leadership, in followship in partnership, in relationship, and in the workspace that we find ourselves. So let me just say to you, this is an incredible opportunity for all of us. Enjoy this interview with Don Gleason. So without further ado, let me welcome to the microphone, Don Gleason. Don, I appreciate your time. You're sat in the United States. I'm sat in the UK. We're about quarter to two and you've got extremely early for us. So I appreciate that. It's a privilege to have you on the Life I Lead podcast. Every now and again, we pepper this podcast with people who are really passionate and really influential in the world of well-being, betterment, and enhancing leaders and people in their workplace. And I know that your real passion and immersion now is helping people find their best career in order for them to be their best selves. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. And first of all, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. And, and like we were talking you know, when we were in the green room, I get up at 4:50 every morning, and I try to work out right away, hit the gym. Mm-hmm. And I had some stuff going on this last month with uh, skin cancer, so I just, this week I'm finally back in the gym after about wow. four or five weeks. So I've just slowly stepping greater and greater and greater exercise every day, so it feels good. But this is this is not that early for me. But I appreciate the opportunity to be here. And uh, and I loved our conversation a little bit ago. Yeah, but my real focus is, is really turned. Into, as you just said, I've, I've seen so many different things around me where people are really frustrated in their job. Mm. <clears throat> the uh, disengaged at work, 80, 85% Gallup polls find that almost year after year. The military has 27 years Air Force, US Air Force, and 22 veterans in military are committing suicide every day. And the number one ideation for suicide is that career transition. And God has been pulling me into working with people on transition. I've tried to go off and do you know, business coaching. I've tried to do leadership coaching in organizations. I've tried to do a lot of things, but yeah. it's interesting how I keep getting pulled back because the piece that resonates with me, the piece that resonates with my audience is that career transition piece. So I must have something in me you know, that, that helps to drive it and people are interested in it and I'm helping people. I think it's a really
0: interesting concept because it's the piece, as you say, the piece that's missing because actually... You spend the majority of your time in what we conform as work. You know, for a lot of people, they're out of the house so early, they're coming back so late. For a lot of people, now they work weekends. You know, there is no distinction apart from bank holidays or holidays that we take as annual leave. So the concept, unless you are happy and fulfilled in that, you're going to be happy and fulfilled in any other aspect of your life is co- almost common sense and yet
1: is void of the actuality, isn't it? It is. And I get into conversations with people in different military networking groups and they're like, you know, I liking my job isn't a requirement. I'm just going to go do it, earn as much money as I can. I will like what I do as a hobby. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but you're going to spend eight to 10 hours a day in that job and only about four to five hours outside the job, plus weekends, right? So... It's not even equal. Why spend half your time not enjoying something? You know, for me, uh, just a little bit about me. Fifth grade, first Earth Day in 1970 for the U.S. I was in Wisconsin as a little kid, fifth grade, what 12 years old, and uh, one of our senators in the state was big proponent of us protecting the earth that was about the time we were doing huge transformations taking lead out of gasoline you know yeah. putting in all kinds of laws to to clean up sites to control the pollution to put wastewater treatment plant uh, effluent yeah. discharge permits in place to try to really clean up the environment mm. and, and I, I caught that bug and i stayed on that path for a number number of years all the way through college into the air force I, I wanted to get out and get some experience. I got to do some really neat things in the Air Force that just propelled me through um, where I was going for life. But it set me in place of my passion. And uh, when I was working with groundwater surveys and finding contaminated plumes and and you know managing hazardous waste. Um, inventory, warehouses, stuff like that. I saw this greater purpose mm. and it really just excited me. So mm. when I was retiring from the Air Force in 2009, after 27 years, I said, I want to go back to that. Now I did it differently. I became a consultant yeah. um, To back to the Air Force and we got into all kinds of different things that I was using my experience on. But yeah. I just was always excited about it. It was interesting in 14, 2014 through 17, I got on a contract with uh, our Department of Energy and it was about cost efficiencies. And our goal was to reduce the cost of the contract by $3 billion or about 15% wow. over 10 years. I wasn't excited about it. Cost efficiencies isn't the thing that excites yeah. me or drives me. And yeah. I noticed the little things in life that people were saying at work would just irritate the heck out of me. <laughs> and I was just like, I got to leave this. Uh, I would I would sit in my room. I had an apartment up in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, <laughs> living in San Antonio. So I was flying up there every week. And I'd sit in the apartment at night and I'd play some songs about, there was one about, you know, my two week notice, you know, uh-huh. take this job and, and yeah. uh, it, it yeah. just starts <laughs> to, to, to so, but to, to me, being energized at work, being energized at what you do is so exciting. And that's why my wife and I, we love even on our off time, we love to, to hike, we love to birdwatch, mm. we love to explore nature, yeah, we love to see sites. We went to Estonia last year. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's just beautiful people. It's just so much yeah. this world to see. So I'm I'm um 47
0: now. I think of my father, who is 86, and there was this almost expectation and belief that they were lifelong careers. You know, my father was in the Merchant Navy, became a, a captain in the Merchant Navy, and was that forever. And his brother was, uh, my uncle was a chef, went into chefing straight after school, and was that forever. And now, of course, you know, I've just left, uh, before starting my own company, I worked in, in, the, in London. And the generation behind me, they'll do it for a year. They'll get what they want, they'll wring the sponge of the water they want, they're off, they'll do something else. And there is no concept that if there's any aspect of this I don't like, I'm not going to stay around. If there's not giving me anything, I'm not going to hang around. Do you think that will change, one, the way people employ or the way people work? Will 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 it change the way we accept salary
1: or money and economies? You know, things are slowly changing, but I think the key is what you just said. And that's why I mentioned to you earlier the the book by Tim Elmore, Morey, John Maxwell team Maxwell Leadership Thought Leader. It's yeah. titled, A New Kind of Diversity. And he's gotten into the five different generations in the workforce today. F- from the baby boomers, mm. you know, born from 45 to 64. I, I, won't-, I won't get all of those dates right. But the yeah. baby boomers leading into the generation X, into the Y's, which are the millennials, now the yeah. C's, the yeah. alphas, which are just being born and starting, you know, they're seven, eight years old now. Yeah, and How every one of them is different. Mm-hmm. And I think that as I read the book, I just finished last night as i read it it's so interesting to see how my i see my kids and i see myself and how we are what what he basically says is each group was basically formed by the experiences they had the economy they went through the technology that was present right mm-hmm. think back to the baby boomers <clears throat> it wasn't until so i'm a baby boomer born in 59 so i'm 60 i'll be 64 here in 2 months and I didn't have a personal digital assistant, you know, an iPhone, you know, those versions until I was a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. Sure. You know, I was almost been in 20 years. So this was now almost 2001. Yeah. 2000. Yeah. And kids today at age two and three, they look at you and they, they hold your hand up with you know, touching that button like yeah. an iPhone. You know, yeah. yeah. Just, I yeah. want your phone. I want your phone. But each of those is different. And I think it's interesting what you just said from a career transition perspective. When when we baby boomers who were all about security, getting that job, staying in that job, earning a paycheck, getting the pension, that was what our focus was. Mm. It wasn't so much about enjoying the job, it was about the security and stuff that, that that it provided. But the millennials, huge on experiences. It's not they they work to live where we used to live to work. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's a different perspective. It's a different expectation. You know, the Gen Z of today—they want to get in and they want to start changing things right away. Yeah. Will that Instead have a just learning- Will that
0: have a bigger
1: impact than it is currently having? Oh, I think it will. It'll continue to have an impact and, uh, and positive. We, um. Well, that's all based upon what your opinion is, right? Sure. Um. I th- I think it'll be positive if we make it positive. I love John Maxwell's book Intentional Living, you know, of course, yeah. If we if we want to lose weight, we have to be intentional what we eat and how we exercise. If we want to improve our personal development skills, our leadership skills, we have to be intentional. Read books, listen to podcasts, whatever it is. You know, get a mentor, get a coach. We have to be intentional how we go through it. So, those people that are hiring today and they look at a resume and they see, "Oh, this guy's changed jobs every two years. You know, he can't hold a job or he's just out for himself. Yeah. If, if they have that opinion, then that will be negative. Mm. But if we look at it as they were grabbing the information they wanted, getting new experiences and going off to the next experience. Because mm. I think if, if we baby boomers would look back, we would see that we had that desire. We got into a job. Things got routine. And we said, you know, I like the next challenge. But because it was about security, we we suppressed that feeling and mm. just stayed there. But we weren't always happy.
0: It so, guys, we associated it with almost risk, wasn't it? There was if we yeah, if we exactly. challenge and
1: fail, the risk is too great. Yeah. Yeah. Where today it's like, yeah, I'm not worried about being unemployed. I, I want to get out, I want to get the experience, you know, um my Brother-in-law's stepson um, had been working for a couple of years, saved like $25,000, got married. He and his wife went off to Southeast Asia for six or nine months. (laughs) They could eat in Thailand, dinner. For two two and a half dollars a piece, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, they're, they came home after nine months with five thousand dollars in the bank. Incredible, isn't it? What a what a neat experience! Now they actually went to Australia, got a job for a little while, earned a little bit more money, so they made the money last a little bit longer. But it was a part-time job, and but it was kind of experiencing that work culture. Talk about so enriching! Yes. Wouldn't that be neat for us to do that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. we live with this.
0: It's strange, isn't it? Because what you said uh, resonates. We live with this burden of Mm -hmm. the security, particularly of things like our pensions and our mortgages. And that, you know, from the age of 25, as soon as you hit sort of employment and you've graduated, that that shadowy burden sort of hangs over you until it comes to fruition with no guarantee when you hit whatever age you can hit to, to cash it all in. And it makes you wonder whether that is a sustainable, clearly it's not going to be, you know, but what a detrimental effect that might have had on a generation that have been tied mm-hmm. to that mentality.
1: Yeah. And, and we shouldn't criticize it, but understand it. As soon as the Gen Z look back at the baby boomers and say, you are who you are because of. Brilliant. Then. We understand each other a little bit more. My daughter and I, we just, I just told you, we went to Maine, <clears throat> unfortunately, for a funeral of a really close military friend of mine. 34 years we've known each other. We were talking one night and she was talking about the frustration of these older white men and their focus on the national defense and the defense budget against wow. education and on and uh, all these other programs to benefit the people mm-hmm. and you know, education, healthcare, et cetera. And I was just saying, you know, it is what it is in terms of those people, 70 and 80 years old, came through World War II and Korea and Vietnam and the Cold yep. War. And yep. they see things ha- happening in the world today with Russia attacking Ukraine, you know, Russia taking on Crimea, China yep. and their efforts. And they're worried about that happening again, World War yep. III. Yep. So they're going to do what they can to prevent it. And they expect others to grab onto the education and the healthcare and those kind of things. Mm. But you have you as a, as a millennial haven't had that, right? Mm. You you didn't come through that time frame. Cold War was pretty much over sure. before you got there. So all you've seen is now the attack in Ukraine, which is yeah. way across over overseas. If you're not watching the news, you're not hearing it. Absolutely. So our, our experiences changed our priorities, and if we look at if the millennials look at the older generation and say oh i understand why you're focused on national defense because of Mm. i'm focused on this because of how can we come together yeah so instead of being so partisan and arguing and saying you're an idiot right you know Mm. how many times how many times has a law been put forward to be discussed and the the one side says it's dead on arrival yeah (laughs) Yeah, and We put this expectation of, I'm not even going to listen to you. You're yeah. crazy. You're an idiot. Yeah. And, and they're not an idiot. They just have a different perspective mm. based upon their experience, based upon their personality. And I think we got we to learn how to deal with that. Before we started recording, we touched on a passion of
0: mine, a passionate subject for me. And it is this, because of the influence of our 24-7 news and media and Uh, the global reporting that never really stops, uh, social media, the access through any digital device that we have, you and i were talking very briefly that it's hard to find moderate thinkers who are considered very effective because we consider moderation often quite grey or quite dull or you know quite too grounded and i'm sure people who listen to this podcast week in week out get a bit bored of me blethering on about it but <laughs> give, give us share with us your insight or your reflection on you know the importance of people's moderation in you know, I, I I also said things like behavior. We need to moderately drink. We need to moderately eat. We need to moderately exercise. You know, all this moderation, I think, that can be found a great wealth there. Share with us a little of your, you know, how you work with people in that framework.
1: I think, unfortunately, surveys have found that most of us are in a moderate range somewhere versus the far right or the far left politically. <clears throat> and you could say that almost on a lot of different things. But because politically you get in that middle... You're beat up on by both sides. Mm. <clears throat> For me, my kids, two of my kids are more liberal. So me being the moderate, they beat me up because I'm not more liberal. <laughs> yes. My cousin, extreme, conservative, right, right wing. Yes. She beats me up because I'm not more right. Yes. So a moderate in the middle is getting beat up from both sides. At some point, you just go quiet. <laughs> You know, I'm just yeah. going to go live my life. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm not going to push moderate because there is nobody. There's no party that's taking forward the moderate platform. Mm-hmm. And and, you, and I'm trying to think of another way to say it besides politics. But you know, I'm I'm a pro environmental guy ever since the fifth grade. As I said earlier, I wanted to be environmental. I wanted to clean up America's waters. I was concerned about sustainability and re- and uh, resilience of of the uh, environment. But I don't like to see so much big government i do believe in business i think we can do a lot more with business so i'm in that moderate you can see both i'm, I'm a little bit right a little bit left in mm. there. and i've had people tell me you can't be for environment and be you know pro-bus- pro-business pro business yeah it's gotta sure. be government it's like oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah you can if if and i think that's where millennials are coming out if if businesses would take the cost of environment into their products, it would be so much better. Think about gas stations. Mm-hmm. How many gas stations come in, they put the tanks in the ground, they operate for X number of years, they decide to close, they walk away. Yeah. They leave those tanks in the ground.
0: <clears throat> yeah. And
1: they're gone. And the business goes out, they go out of business. There's nobody to go back and and uh sue or get responsible for taking the yeah. tanks out of the ground and or if the tanks were leaking, the cleanup of that and the cleanup contamination, of Contamination, yes. Yeah. But that should be the cost of the business. It shouldn't be the cost of public yeah. to do it. But yeah. we're starting to accept it's the cost of public because we can't get at the at the business. To me, the business should have to put up a a bond of 1 million, 5 million, 10 million, whatever, to operate a gas station because it's like, it's like when you rent a house, right? You put a deposit down. Sure. You clean up the house, you get your deposit back. If you operate the gas station well and there's no contamination you take the tanks out you get your five million or ten million dollars back it's part of the business but so i think it's it's how we kind of set this up and talk about it but Mm -hmm. uh it would go back to your question i think we we as moderates get quiet because we get beat up on both sides and yeah uh, we're not there's there's nobody out there helping us to go forward with that platform
0: to to look at the work you do, Don, and, and you you will know the surveys better than I. I, I. I mean, I know I keep an eye on a lot of leadership um, surveys that are out there because I find them interesting. And you know, sixty percent of people, particularly on a survey I looked at last week in the UK, are unhappy with the leadership in which they work under in their workplace. Uh, I don't. I'd be interested to see what that was globally, but that was a UK mm-hmm. poll that came out, and I can I can understand it when you start to work with somebody you work with people helping them find a career that allows them to flourish and be their best and I'm sure you listen or you see people with your expert eye who you know are intrinsically unhappy doing what they're doing for people listening who think oh, yeah, I don't like my job but the pay is good and I'm committed to my mortgage and I've got a kid in college and but as soon as I get the opportunity I'm going to go out of here but equally they know at the back of their mind this is affecting their marriage or their partnership or their relationship with their kids or their family if they're listening to this done what? telltale signs should they be reflecting on in themselves? Because a lot of people will live in denial. You know, I don't, I don't abuse my wife. I don't even talk to her. Well, there you are. (laughs) You You are 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 abusing (laughs) her. Exactly. People are like, I don't, I don't like my job. I don't even think about it. I leave at five o'clock and I'm not interested. Yeah. Well, that tells me something about how you're relating to your work. So what should people be looking for in themselves before they have to go to you?
1: I'm going to go back to when I was unhappy in that consulting job with the Department of Energy, as I was trying to do things, other people were were fighting against me. And I wasn't, and, and there's a difference between you having to sell your ideas and getting the leadership to buy into it, that's a normal sure. process, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and, and it's it's up to me to help figure out who I'm communicating with, what's their mm-hmm. priorities, what's the priorities in the organization, how does this benefit? So I can sell the benefit of it versus trying to put forward ideas and you get made fun of mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you get belittled yeah. and you get ignored, you know. We were a subcontractor to a, to, a, to a prime contractor. And he told me one time, he says, hey, we're going to do an offsite. And I want you to come in and, and we, for about a 30-minute you know, presentation out of our four hours. I want you to talk about the cost efficiencies. And I want you to talk about these things. So I did. I had about seven slides. Well, wouldn't let me talk, wouldn't let me talk, wouldn't let me talk. Finally, he was in the summary of the afternoon. And I said, hey, hey wait, wait a minute. you know? <clears throat> He says, oh, I'll, I'll let you do it after we summarize everything. I'm like, well, wow. that, is, that defines right there the importance you're putting on it, right? Yeah. And and this was after a long history of him doing this. And I thought maybe this was going to change because he was looking for that. So then I put my first slide up and I was starting to go through some things. And he goes, you know, the problem, Don, is you always have too many slides. I'm like, I'm two minutes in and I'm on my first slide. But it is, it's, it's 428 and they wanted to leave at 430. So I was like, but that, that. Really hit me with with the, the value that he placed on it, placed on me, and that was what was leading to my demise in terms of getting out of that job because I was I was just not happy. I, it wasn't that I was having to fight to get my ideas out; I was having to fight for respect. Yeah, I was having to to fight for equal time to yeah. to, to put the ideas forward, and I think that's a different piece. But I go back to your piece on leadership. I think too many leaders. Today, too many people who are supervisors are managers and not leaders. They don't know how to lead. It's all about them. It's all about dictating. It's about, Hey, I, I did my job as a technician, right? They thus put me in this top position. I must know how to do it. You need to do it exactly as I did it. Yes. But they're a different personality. My story is I, uh, I started with Booz Allen. I love the company. I got out of some of my first develop, business development projects. And my boss was is known as a huge, great business development guy. So we're sitting in the bar the night before. We're kind of previewing, you know, getting ready for dinner. We're having a discussion about the next morning. And I said, would you tell me a little bit about how you, you do business development? And his answer was, I can't tell you. I can't teach you. I just do it. I don't know what I do. I just do it. It's a gut instinct. <laughs> Wow. He's just going to have to watch me. But I knew then that I couldn't do it the way he did it because he was a very high D personality. I'm a high S and C in the disc. You know, yeah. He's very get results done, You know, move right now. I'm more relational, <clears throat> more analytical compliance. So I had to figure out how I was going to do it. Right? So he couldn't be my mentor. Mm. And uh, so I think we have to learn each other how to work forward. But the piece of, we have to learn how to lead people. Mm. And uh, one thing I love about the Maxwell Leadership Team, certified Maxwell Leadership Certified Team, is our motto is everyone deserves to be led well. Yes. That means we have to pick the right people to be leaders. We have to train them as leaders. We have to continue to mentor them as leaders. We have to expect and hold them accountable as leaders. And too often, if people are producing, even if they're a dictatorial style and people are leaving their team and the morale sucks, if they're producing, we leave that person in charge. But they're destroying the organization. Leadership The leadership of those people has to be accountable. So there's a lot of different aspects of it Mm -hmm. that I think has to happen, but it comes down to people deserve to be led well and we have to pick the right people and we have to train them how to be leaders.
0: It's really important, isn't it? And I love that word that you use. People deserve, you know, a lot of people will say that it's not about rights and responsibilities. It's not about HR policies. It's not about management programs. There is there is just a basic deserving that people hold to be respected, to be mm-hmm. autonomous in the role that they've been employed to be, you know. And I think that's a, that's a revelation for people still in, in leadership or in followership. About you deserve this. And if you're not getting it, then you've really got to question what you're doing there.
1: Yeah. And I think in today's world, you asked if there's anything off the table. And I said, no, nothing is off the table. Some people don't want to talk about the LGBTQ movement that's happening. Yeah. But I think it is right that we let people be themselves. Mm-hmm. And we put policies and behaviors and cultures in place so people can be themselves. But that doesn't mean you have the right to force me as a heterosexual. I, I, I want to respect you. I want to understand you. Yeah. Don't expect me to be that. And I'm not going to expect you to be heterosexual. So there becomes a mutual respect. Yeah. But we still have way too many people who are misunderstanding, lack of understanding. Yeah. A lot of different pieces there. And I hate to say it. And I am a Christian. The Bible, the Bible is pretty clear on that's not the way that God made us, but yet that's the natural feeling they feel as they developed so is it the way god made them that's yeah, not up to society right it's up to you know, sure. in, yeah. in the end times Now yeah. we're getting a more religious piece here but but it comes back to like the like the current pope you know he yes. said it's not my job to judge people it's my job to love them and yeah. grow them and help them and respect them and, and hopefully bring them to christ what was one of the I like, really enlightening I like, I like things? I'll decide everything else later on. Yeah,
0: sure. Yeah. One of the really enlightening aspects of that debate for me was when this issue arose in the UK, this issue arose of prisons and where we incarcerate people with a identity that was not male or female and how do we house them post-crime? And this blew up a huge, a huge debate, a healthy debate not for the people directly concerned, but issues such as the responsibility of the state to these people, but also things like how do we we punish people in a liberal way so that they maintain their identity and yet are punished in a way that society says they should be punished. Really, really strange question. How do we allow people to be individual, not conform to anything particularly, and still punish them in a conforming way? And it suddenly realised that a lot of the discomfort is actually because we're so... Constrained by our current parameters, the mm-hmm. breaking out of those parameters is actually what causes the discomfort. It's nobody saying, mm-hmm. I am against anybody in any identity. It's about, I don't know what to do with this person of this identity because we've never had it before. So I think mm-hmm. you're absolutely right, you know, and yet we have to be tolerant. Because they are deserving of our tolerance. Like somebody is deserving of good leadership. Really interesting.
1: Yeah. And think about sexual abuse in the workplace. It has been, I won't say condoned, maybe way, way back it was condoned. I don't know. But it's been tolerated. And if a woman typically put something forward as she was being sexually abused verbally abused whatever you have to prove it and it became almost a you are the one guilty you asked for it all this kind of stuff so they wouldn't say anything now all of a sudden more and more women are coming forward now men are coming forward because women are abusing them in the workplace yeah and it has it has been a painful process Mm. because like you said it was it's the pain of change Mm. of Fighting our different beliefs, right? Our subconscious and our beliefs are locked in there, and they they, we operate ninety five percent in our subconscious. Mm -hmm. So, therefore, the beliefs and the memories and the experiences that we have dictate what we say, what we what we do, all those kind of things. So, it's tough to change those things. Yeah, and it's 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 hard. You got to be go back to intentional. It's got to be intentional, Mm -hmm. but you got to be aware of it. So, I try to help people understand. What is it really against you when that is happening? Yeah. You know, from an LGBT community perspective with a you know, right or a left political perspective? How are they harming you? Mm. you know? Yeah. Um and uh, so that so that they become aware of, well, I'm I'm trying to uphold the Bible standards across the world. Well, is it really mm-hmm. your job to enforce? The Bible against everybody. Yes, it's for you to believe. It's for you to take the gospel out to others to help them believe. But it's up to God in the judgment day. Yes, to judge how we each lived our life. Yeah. So, same kind of thing in in leadership, right? We're there to create the right culture to help each individual be the best they can be, be comfortable, to perform well, to bring their ideas forward, to be a part of the team. That's a leader. Yes. It's not to, not to dictate things. It's my thoughts anyway.
0: <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about, you know, if you look at the UK and you'll enlighten us more about the States because we have to rely on, on news, which I imagine is a lot of it is spun. But <laughs> there is this oxymoron, this dichotomy for me where people clamber and rally the troops in order to support their bid to become leaders. You know, if you think for the UK, we've gone through four prime ministers in the last sort of 15 months, which is unprecedented. (laughs) You know, I was born and Margaret Thatcher was prime minister for the first 20 years of my life, and I've now seen four in the last year. And, you know, America is quite used to that sort of term of presidency and the change. Two things I wanted (laughs) you to reflect on. Why is it, do you think, that people want to get into these powerful world stage leadership roles when they know as soon as they're there, they're going to be a figure of vitriol, hatred, mockery, and you know, unpopularity amongst the general populace. And the other question is, do you think the way leadership of our nations is currently happening in its sort of democratic form is sustainable? Do you think it's got any legs left in it?
1: Wow, two really good questions. I think the first one, I i generally believe people do things for the right reasons. They have a good motivation. And I think people get into politics because they see what's there and they want to change it according to their ideas, right? according to their upbringing, sure. according to their, their priorities, according to what their group believes is right. And they want to make sure that America or the UK or whatever, whichever country is moving in the right direction for the future to have things right for their kids, right? You go back to the 1970s with so many environmental laws and we had so much pollution in the 40s and 50s and 60s, you know, probably even back to 1900s through the industrial revolution. You know, companies weren't responsible for what they put in the environment, just the products they produced and it was impacting the public good. So we had to change that. So... I think all of those environmental laws were put in there for the right reasons, though business fought against it because now they're having to increase their, it's increasing their costs. So I think when people get into politics, get into that stage for the right reasons, it unfortunately, what's that saying? Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Sure, Right. When you get higher and higher, you start to think that. Your way is the only way and people have to conform to you. You stop understanding what others bring to the table. Again, new kind of diversity, personality assessments, uh, all of those things to help understand the other person. I love the way John Maxwell talks about it is if I bring, if I value other people, my job is to value other people, to respect them, to understand them, to be curious, right? To listen from curiosity, not from, you know, what's the next thing I'm going to say? Yeah. Um, if we, if we keep our eyes on our service to the people and where they're going and how society's changing, we just talked about that, right? These generations come, their priorities are different, their focus is different, their experiences are different. If we, if we recognize that and how do we serve the population versus just my group, my ideology, we start to then serve the people and we get away from the power hungry, we, we stay in the, the value piece. So I think, unfortunately... We we start to believe too much in ourselves as the only way. Sure. Um, when when things are going well, we overestimate our capability. When things are you know not going well, we way underestimate our capability. Yeah, <clears throat> it's English. really somewhere in the middle. Yeah. So, that, so I think that's the first one. I, I do believe people get in for the right reasons. I don't yeah. think people get in for I'm gonna be I want to be a millionaire and I want I want to power and I want to be you know the charge against Putin. Right. He came sure. in. Yeah, he kind of created a dictatorial ship. <clears throat> you know, nobody, anybody goes against him. He goes, he can, he can knock him off. Yeah, uh, That's the charges anyway. The media certainly in America does spin it. My wife and I, I was laughing inside a minute ago when you said media, because my wife and I watch the news every night and we, we predict what stories are going to be there, how long these stories are going to last. Yeah. You know, we, we don't always know what happened that day, like a shooting or, you know, whatever. But then I, what I like to do at the end of the news is what was missing? Yeah. question didn't they ask yeah right they're spinning in a certain way go back to uh, the indictment yesterday for trump not to make this political but sure. the uh, and i don't go against right or wrong but i came out of the u.s air force i handled a lot of uh, secret and even top secret information i knew how that had to be done i was responsible for setting that up in my organization to make sure that it was handled right way yeah. so to see Trump, Biden, Pence, others have classified in their garage in a box, totally insecure. It just turns me over. And we've got to be looking across the board at how we protect our secrets. And uh, But they're not asking the question, right? They're, they've kind of stopped talking about Biden. They're totally focused in on Trump. Yeah, first uh, thing that's missing, right? Fairness. Yeah. You know, and, and are they asking the right questions? Yeah. I try to get back to what's the right question to ask to make this a fair political piece. So, so I don't lose perspective because otherwise I can let the news media start to sway me in a certain way. I was it's talking
0: like- to somebody the other day about AI, and he was he was worried that it was a slightly dangerous tool. Anyway, we ended up after about half an hour's conversation, realizing that. AI is perfectly good because half the trappings of AI are, are we asking the right questions? In order for it to give us information that we want, you've got to ask the correct question. And that questioning skill, that interviewing skill almost of honing down the colors. Like, so describe the colors of autumn. Well, they're all brown. Well, they're not really, are they? There's yellows and golds and, and being able to hone in those questions. And I think that's missing in our media, certainly is in the UK. <laughs> And what an interesting point, a little bit like, I hope it enlightens people who listen, as people being deserving in leadership. Haven't we lost that art of curiosity in people? Are we curious in other people? Am I learning something? Is there something that this person is going to give me that I'm curious about? We've lost that art. I say that to my daughter all the time. It's only nine. I say, be curious about it, darling. Be curious. So important.
1: Yeah. A story. um, When I was on that Department of Energy task, we had submitted a deliverable to the government the government gave us the opportunity to redo it meaning we failed right so so we had three weeks to redo it and the leadership we got together and said what resources do we need to put this how do we need to change this you know and we said we need this person well that person was really busy in what they were doing for the program But had just, his wife had just had twins and he had a little two year old at home. So he was being pulled in two directions, work and home. So I went down to his office and I sat there and I said, Hey, I'm just curious. You know, we need some more of your time for this redo on the project, but you've got other commitments. How can we balance the things you're working at home and work so that you can give us some more time to make this successful? And of course, the quick answer is, oh, I can do it. I can do anything. Just just let me know and I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. And it's like, well, no, I'm not looking to drive you to 18 hours a day so at work so that you're not at home for your wife because that's going to put stress on your wife. It's going to put stress on your family. You know, you need to be there for the two-year-old because the two-year-old is kind of getting ignored. So think about that tonight. Well, he went home kind of ticked off. He said he had a conversation. He came back the next morning. He said, I had a conversation with my wife and I was really pissed at you. <laughs> just, you know, and your, your, your lack of belief. And his wife said, no, no, he cares about you. He wants you to have the home life and the work life and delegate some things to others to let them succeed too. It's not all about you. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he said, he came back the next morning, kind of apologized, even though he hadn't been mad the night before. I mean, he just said, I want to apologize for my thinking. I appreciate what you said yesterday. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Well, man, he succeeded the band. I left the project. He he backfilled me. We got him promoted twice. You know, so uh, he's now sitting as a senior associate on the leadership team. Nice, uh, isn't it? it? It's neat to see what happened. But but I went in with that curious of I value you as a person. I I want to be successful at work for us, the team. I want you to be successful at work, but I want you to be successful at home. How do we balance that out and looking for his input versus me making the decision? Because the only thing I could have made the decision on is I need more of your time. Keep doing Mm. what you're doing. I need six more hours a day. Mm. So I need you here until 10 o'clock at night.
0: Yeah,
1: That's not the way I operate. I want, I want it to be sustainable for the future. I want people to want to stay in that company. Let's
0: let's get down to some nuts and bolts of helping people find a job, find a career. It's not a job. There's a difference, in my opinion, between a career and a job. I think a career is something, you know, it has the word care in it for a start. Um ah, the, I like that. The the importance of finding that resolve, that self-discipline those natural, those, those habits that become second nature so that at every turn and twist in the road, we're not throwing in the towel saying, this is not a career for me. You know, this Mm -hmm. happens just to be a a bit of a shitty week. How do, how do people find that balance? What is good, healthy pressure? What is good, healthy challenge? What is difficult situations and this is not for me. This is absolutely bloody miserable. I've uh, listened to dongles and I'm jacking this in and going to find another career that is going to be great for me. I, I suppose really what I'm saying again is where's this moderation of thought about this yeah. is
1: difficult, but not utterly shit. That, that is a tough one. And, uh, and I, I do it this way. So this, this is where I'm focused right now. And I think that Too often people, when they start looking for another job, they immediately go and look at their resume and try to update their resume and their LinkedIn profile. And they miss the whole piece of what is it they want to do next. When you start focusing on your resume first, all you can put in is everything because you don't know what you're going to get, right? You're looking for the, the, the plethora of jobs that are out that way. Mm-hmm. I could be a data analyst, a project manager, I could be a nurse, I could be an engineer, I could be a lawyer. How do I have enough experiences to qualify myself for all of those things? <laughs> And in reality, if we go back and think about the experiences that people have had, of course the skills, of course the knowledge, but the experiences and the emotion in those jobs. So I, I take people through that piece of experience, the reason behind those things, and see if I can if we can find a common thread. Perfect example. <clears throat> Young man, black growing up in Alabama 30 years ago. So this was 80s, 70s, and 80s. You know, prejudice of the South in America. It was tough. Yeah. And the poverty that the blacks lived in. Mm. And he said, I joined the army because there was nothing for me in that town except crime and drugs and probably die at an early age. Mm. Watched it in my... You know, in the neighborhood, I watched it and what was happening, I didn't want that for myself, got in the army. Well, he got promoted all the way to E9, which is Sergeant Major, which is the highest enlisted rank. You know, that's, that's like less than the, that's the top 1%, easy, if not half yeah. percent. You know, he really excelled. And I was talking to him. I said, what was the best thing that happened? And he goes, that's easy. He said, I was in D.C. and I got to be the point person for the USA Olympic Dream Team basketball team. This is the Michael Jordans, the David Robinsons, all these guys, Charles Barkley. They came to D.C. and they talked to the inner city kids. And he said, as they were talking about where they came from, they came out of poverty and single-parent homes and And the tough neighborhoods and the gangs, and they, they broke out from it. You could see the connection going on in the eyes of the kids. It's, I'm in that situation today. They got out of it. I can get out of this. You know, and then the sergeant major, it's like he did it. I can do it. So he he, gave hope into their eyes. So he now really started focusing in on what I need to focus in on is that experience. That's what lit me up. That's what's exciting is how do I help others get out of the situation and be better? Mm -hmm. So I think that drove him now is where he wanted to go. It wasn't just being a project manager. When he talked about being a project manager and helping the company make money and bring projects in on time, cost, budget. It was okay, mechanical. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be good. I'll make yeah. money at it. But when he talked about hope and yeah. kids and poverty, the passion came out of his voice. The excitement came out of his voice. I stopped him. I said, do you hear the energy yeah. in your voice? He yeah. said, I do. I said, it's that's powerful, in it? I said, it is powerful beyond belief. Yeah. So I'm looking for that as I talk to people. Brilliant. It doesn't mean that he had to be doesn't mean that he has to do it exactly that way. Maybe there's other ways that he can do things. Like for me, being an environmental engineer, I could go work for the government as an environmental engineer. I could be a contractor. I could be a consultant in contracting. I could go build things like a wastewater treatment plant, et cetera. I could run a nonprofit cleaning up water. A lot of ways I could do it, but my focus is since the fifth grade, cleaning up America's waters. So now the next step, once I figure that first one out, cleaning America's waters, the second step is, how do we employ that? And and who do we network with to make sure we understand what that aspect is? So I do it in three perspectives. One, what do you want to do next? Two is, who do you network with to validate it as well as make the connections? And then three, now you go back to that resume. And mm. you say... Okay, now how do I put things in there that will sell that I am perfectly qualified to do that job and the best yeah. candidate? It's very answer, powerful answer, to answer.
0: start with your resume. It's not to start with your resume because you're limiting yourself and you're, you know, it's all too thin. Yeah, that's a really interesting concept. Start with the passion and
1: your network
0: and then yeah. and then go to your resume. That's a good bit of advice.
1: Yeah, here's another question. You pick up the newspaper. Back then, when I grew up, the jobs were in the newspaper. Now go to a website. Go to a job fair, and when you walk up and see a job, don't ask the question "Can I do that job?" Ask the question "Do I want to do that job?" Totally different question. I can do all kinds of things, yeah. But is that really going to bring me the energy, the excitement that I'm going to yeah. I'm going to tackle tasks, I'm going to I'm going to work the extra hours, I'm going to I'm going to come up with the ideas? Am I going to be energized at the end of the day doing that, or am I just going to be mechanical? Doing the job, not really loving
0: it, but making it's kitchen. a very good exercise, isn't it, for people? And I, I've used this when I've been coaching <laughs> people in that are onboarding onto new leadership roles, and they often have this not imposter syndrome, but just a lack of self confidence. I think, and and I say, get your resume out because yeah, or CV as we call them in the UK. I say, get your CV out and have a look at it because this is what you think got you the job. And I said, now get a blank piece of paper and for every statement on your resume, whether it be project management or leadership. Put an emotion, put a feeling, put a passion next to that. So, project management involved you networking, leading, motivating, challenging a team. So, scribble out project managing. Look for something that does does that to you. So, I think it's a good yeah. exercise. We're so limited by I our resume, it. haven't me. And
1: the bad part is, once we write something on the resume, we don't want to take it off. <laughs> so, yeah. so we've got to be careful what we put on it. You know what we put, it's like what we put in our subconscious it's tough to overcome that. Yes. So we got to be careful. It's like the news, right? As soon as that we start listening to somebody and it starts forming our beliefs, it's hard for us to change the beliefs. Same with the resume. Yeah. So we got to be careful what goes on there.
0: Yeah, that's so impressive.
1: For people that are
0: um, feeling trapped in a job, that they are moderately enjoying. They don't hate it. It's not it's not affecting their personal life or, or their relationships, but it is a dead-end job. Mm-hmm. And I think that my daughter's generation, Generation Alpha, are going to come with hopefully a huge swathe of self-confidence that mm-hmm. their parents' generation, my generation, are relentlessly instilling in them. You can do mm-hmm. it you can be it, you can attain it, you can get it, whatever it is, you know, let's aim high for it. And I think they're going to come with that intrinsic self-confidence, I hope. And so if they find themselves in a role in 20 years' time that is limiting them, what would be your advice to give them that, just to give them that little push over the line into that threshold of, I can't be limited by comfort or by conforming because
1: I know I'm worth more. I'm going to put two words out. Communication and networking. Even before you start to feel that which you just described, you should be networking. You know, It's, uh, it's professional organizations. So LinkedIn is a great tool to mm-hmm. network. Everybody looks at it as a job search tool. As soon as they get the job, they quit networking. Yeah. But there's so many different groups for just about anything you could be interested in. We are sat here because of it. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so get into that group, have conversations, have the article, read the articles that they're putting forward, have the discussion with people mm-hmm. about different perspectives, continue to learn. That's going to open up doors for opportunities of oh, wow, I'm really excited what that company is doing, or I need to talk to that person because I like the way they're doing things. Maybe they can connect me with somebody, right? John Maxwell always says, always in a conversation with, who do you know that I should know? Yeah. So I get that next conversation. Yeah. Um, so I think networking is so important. But I also want to put in communication. I think too often when we start to be unhappy with the job, we don't go back to our leadership Mm -hmm. with maybe our peers and say, you know, I'm wondering what other opportunities there are. I'm looking for bigger challenges. I've done this for a couple of years. It's exciting. I've I've enjoyed it. But it's not really floating my boat. Mm -hmm. I want to do something a little bit different. What other opportunities? Who can you introduce me to to step forward? One thing I liked about Booz Allen Hamilton, big management consultant, now 25 plus thousand people in D.C., is... They would facilitate that, move people around. Now it became a project with the contracts we had because the government who we were, if they liked you, they didn't want to see you go. Yeah. But we I would always sit down with that, that government leader and say, do you hold back your people? Right? You have civilians who, you know, civilian government employees who work for you. Do you want them to progress in their career? You know, to the next GS level, general schedule, you know, promotion level? get the next job he says well of course i do i want that same thing for my people so i'm going to bring you somebody else who can do this job but that person is now ready for them to move forward so we shouldn't fear coming to our leadership and saying hey i'm kind of tapped out on this job I'm, i'm enjoying it it's been really good i've learned a lot but in the next year or two i would like to explore Moving to something different. Can you help me with that conversation? And we as leaders should be ready for that and helping people move forward in their careers, not trying to hold them so that we look good, right? Because yep. they're a great performer, they're doing great on the contract, therefore. I'm I'm getting great contract performance rating. Therefore, I'm going to get promoted. Not it's not about me. It's about them. It goes back to that value people. So I hit those two words. Don't be afraid of communicating to your leadership that I'm looking for the next opportunity. Not next week, but six months. When I when I left that uh, Department of Energy job, I I had a meeting the next morning. I made my decision. I had meeting the next morning with my principal and my vice president, and I said somewhere in the next six months, I'm going to transition off of doing this job here every week i've been three years on the road It's uh, not the way i got married I, you know my wife has now been an empty nester there's no kids to keep her busy um she's home all by herself now for three years that's not the way i want this marriage to go i want to spend more time at home i'm looking to have a conversation with you how i can either continue to support this project in a different way or what else i can do in the company yeah and they they worked they worked me to another project so communication i think it works if you yeah. have the right relationship up front but yeah. you got to build that culture of openness and communication and teamwork yeah to get to that communication but then the networking you know looking outside of your company is okay too they're looking for next opportunities amazing message. The, thank you, you yeah if the internal company can't help you there should be i was i was thinking one time about a book and uh I won't give away my title, but the last chapter was going to be help people progress either in the company or out of the company. Sometimes you have people who are not performing well in your company. They need to leave. And that yeah. may be the impetus to shake them up. Sometimes you can't give them anymore. And you yeah. need to help them go to another company to take yeah. on the next challenge to continue to grow.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. We owe it to people to say, yeah. listen, you, you're you saturated here. Maybe it's time. Yeah, that's a really important message. Another, another huge conversation. I know the value that people in leadership or followership, in marriages, in parenting, in 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 hobbies and sport, the benefit they get from being coached, being mentored, having what I call a board of directors around you, if you like. We call yeah. some people call them friends and colleagues. I call them a little board of governors around you. But people who are bored of me saying it, who are listening to this on their way to work or on their way home from work who've had a really crap day, uh, Don, what succinctly do you think are the are the immediate benefits for somebody getting a coach, getting a mentor, getting a, a, a specific
1: board of people around them to help them and nurture them? Short answer, it's the only way to advance. Only way. It, it, uh, you know, in the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership, I think it's law number two, John talks the law of the lid. Yeah. And if you look at any area of your life, we have a lid on our expertise, on our capability, on our leadership ability. And it couldn't it matter if it's investing, right? Mm. When I started investing, I only knew so much about what is the stock, what's the stock market, what, what, what happens to trading, what's the volume piece, what's the price action... I didn't know anything about that. I was like a one or a two on a scale of one to ten. But as I got smarter, as I went to classes and conferences, I started talking to people. I listened to podcasts. I kept raising my lid because I raised my knowledge and experience. Yeah. That could be the same on a relationship, you know. Raising kids. Let's say let's go to raising kids. Where in high school or college do we ever learn how to raise kids? <laughs> yeah. We didn't, right? The only yeah. thing we did was we watched our parents. That could be good or bad. Yeah. So. We, we come into parenting a lot as a one or a two on a scale of one to ten. And we have to learn through experiences. We learn through mentors, people who we, we watch the neighborhood. We talk to people. Um, we My wife and I were lucky as we, for our kids were getting to move into the middle school and high school range. We had a couple. And we really appreciated their mentorship on how they raised their kids because we got to see their daughters yeah. who were 10 years ahead of us 10 15 years ahead how they develop them so we literally go back to that the only way we can grow and raise that lid is to raise our knowledge and raise our experience and we do that through talking to others getting different perspectives and you can't do it just by reading books and listen to podcasts you need that conversation so i think when we can have a a coach, right? A mentor gives us their experiences and gives us recommendations. A coach asks us questions. Mm, yeah. Makes us think into ourselves. I love, that's why I love being a coach. I can ask the question. Yeah. And you all of a sudden, that person on the other end is, is silent for about 20, 30 seconds. And you can see it going inside their head. And they're going back into that subconscious. What is it I believe how does that apply in this situation? Yeah. Is that right? Do I need to change the perspective? Is he making me think differently? And then he gives you an answer. Basis, as you know, is the answer is inside of us. Yeah. But we want to do how to, how to move that way, but we've just got something in our way mm-hmm. that's holding us back. So uncovering that, making him think about it differently and helping him advance. But we can't, we can't, we won't ask ourselves that question. Our subconscious mind is there to protect us. So therefore, it keeps us from asking those tough questions. Yeah. We need somebody external to us to ask those tough questions, so so we address them and we move forward. So I, I appreciate guys like you, and myself, being coaches. I love the mentoring aspect. There's, there's, there's. Uh, we need both. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to raise that, I think if we if we just realize that we're we're never a ten on everything, we've got to really realize where we're at. And how do we need to improve that lid, raise the lid yeah. to a six, seven, or eight, whatever we have to do. And it goes back to leadership. I come into any leadership position. We start as a two or a three. We don't know anything about leadership yeah. except what we've seen. Right. So yeah. how do I continue to grow as a leader? Cause I can't, I can't lead people above where I'm at.
0: Yeah, I always say you're not you're not in leadership if you're no longer learning. I could talk I mean, to you, you all that, right? day, Don, honestly. It's been an absolute privilege to have you on. If people want to get hold of you, can I put your email address out or I'll receive emails and get them if somebody wants to continue a conversation or look at mentoring? Yes, 100%.
1: I'm going to point them to LinkedIn, though. And, of and course. my my, my, e- my email and phone number is there, but sure, um, yeah. you'll see exactly what I'm focusing in on when you read my LinkedIn. And Of course, it's Don. L Gleason, and I'll give you the URL so you can put that in the in the That'd show be notes. Fantastic. But, but I'm the only Don Gleason with the middle initial L Perfect. for my, and uh, so it, it helps people find me real quick. And you'll see right there the picture. I help people answer what they want to do next It's in my PR
0: photo it's been incredible thank you so much for joining us i know i'll be inundated with people saying there uh, how much they've enjoyed it and you're considered a friend of the life i lead podcast and anything that you would love to promote announce let us know about and of course we'd okay. love to have you back on the
1: show as well i'm gonna have a class in two weeks on networking <laughs> So I'll give you that link as well. Brilliant Do And so, we'll put but, that out as well. Yeah. But I love, I love what you're doing. I love the conversation as well. And I'm uh, looking forward to reading your book, the life I lead. Cause I think you very uh, much. With this, the stuff you talked about today is so important as we think about where we're really going and how we yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah. So I appreciate
0: what you're doing. Thank you very much, Don, and we appreciate the work you're doing as well <laughs> and uh, all the best for the future. And we'll speak soon. Sounds good. Thank you again. I'm sure you'll agree. What an incredible impact somebody who works at those upper echelons has on a podcast such as The Life I Lead. I'd really like to thank Don for an amazing insight into different culture of the USA and the work done that is needed within ourselves to make ourselves aware of what is making us Unhappy, in a position of transition, in a position of wanting more, needing more, being more, and actually deserving more. What an impactful insight to understand that actually as a leader, you have a responsibility above anything else to make people feel like what they deserve is correct. If you're a leader, people deserve respect, compassion, empathy, insight, transparency, ultimately appreciation and love for following you. They deserve that just for being in the position they're in. And may I say to people, if you're following, then your leader deserves honorability, honesty, transparency, enthusiasm, coherence, cohesion, cooperation. And if you're in either of those positions, if you're following a leader or if you're leading followers, can we just remember that before we start any conversation, situation, decision-making, can we ask, what does my leader deserve? What do my followers deserve? What do I As a leader, what do I, as a husband, as a friend, as a partner, as a father, as a mother, as a sister, deserve? And what does my partner lover deserve? The objective of a leader is to create more leaders, not more followers. Thank you very much for joining us. Liz and I wish you a great week. The summer is upon us, we're hitting record temperatures. And if you're doing anything, then stay cool, stay calm. uh, And we will join with you again next week when we will have another amazing guest. Um, Until then, if you're in leadership, be kind. If you're in followership, be enthusiastic. Be generous of heart, be compassionate. And I wish you the very best of luck. And we'll speak to you again soon. Well, from all of us at the Life Ali podcast, thanks for listening. I really hope that something has resonated with you today. I hope this podcast is the start for you to know that you are capable of being a leader, inspiring others, and being fully present and alive in situations that need you to step up and be a leader. So, as I say to everyone on my coaching courses and one-to-one coaching sessions, tell yourself aloud every day, I am enough, I am influential, I am a leader. And join us here at The Life I Lead, again, same time, same place, next week. And remember the words of Eisenhower, you don't lead by hitting people over the head. That's assault, not leadership.